All right, welcome, welcome. Here we are to episode two of the Peak State Fit Experience podcast recorded from Peak State Fit Performance Center located here in Salt Lake City, Utah. It's actually snowing. Jillian and I were originally planning on recording here in the studio, but I think it was a good plan because as I look out the window, there's about five fresh inches of snow. Um, So you are listening to our second episode. The first season of our podcast will follow the modules of Nail Your First Ironman, which is a course that I have just recently created and is now available for $189. The course has 35 video lessons covering the four pillars of Ironman, swim, bike, run, and nutrition, plus tips from my 34 years of racing and 20 years of coaching experience. Peak State Fit has placed an importance on education since our inception, and our business mission is to share knowledge and empower others through education. Last week, we talked with uh, about inspiration with Kayla Bowker. And if you missed that show, please head over and listen on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. And thank you to those that reported the technical error. We do realize that it's our first week and I double uploaded the audio, but I'm glad that I double uploaded rather than missing the whole thing entirely. So this week we are aiming for success and I'm happy to introduce my guest, Jillian McCauley. Um, Jillian has been an endurance athlete since she was nine years old. She has been swimming competitively um, and introduced to her first kids tri team when she was about 10 years old. And that was two loops on the track, a bike ride on her banana seat bike, and a nice 500-yard swim. Her first real triathlon was at 19 and stepping her game up to her dad's steel frame Peugeot, equipped with the down tube friction shifters. We all had that if you're of a certain age. <laughs> and then since those days, Jillian has completed five full Ironmans. I'm not going to tell about the first that is in her bio because that's one of our questions. And um, she did race Kona, which we're also going to talk about this year. She raced it. So um, Jillian currently races for Team Octagon Elite and is coached by Cam Watt out of Brisbane, Australia. Jillian graduated from the Simon School of Business with her MBA in 2016. Congratulations. She relocated um, from New York to Provo in 2019 and works for Qualetrics. She currently works for Qualetrics and uh, lives in Salt Lake City with uh, her boyfriend, Andrew, and her German short hair pointer, Miles. Welcome, Jillian. Thank you. Thanks yeah. so much. Yeah. Yeah. So today, the title of today's show is oh. Choosing Your First Iron Man. And we are covering a lot of modules from the course, but we don't necessarily talk about the course in each show, um, in each weekly show. We just talk about little nuggets of it. And then we brought you on today because you're just so well loved in the triathlon community. You bring such a great spirit to your racing. I mean, your your pictures from Kona, just like you were smiling and you just embrace that race experience. So I want to start off, you know, just welcome, maybe tell us a little bit more about yourself if you want to. And I definitely want to hear about Kona. Well, it's awesome to be here. And yeah, I'm staring at it like just trees just coated in this like beautiful snow so i'm like it's awesome being here in salt lake city as you said i I relocated here about three and a half years ago and any relocation it kind of takes a little bit to like kind of find your people and like figure out like who are those people that are gonna 
be your training partners, be your business partners, be all the all the things. So it's uh, it's taken a minute, um, but it's it's cool to to be here and to get to know you and Pat. Um, and so yeah, I was I don't know everything you said was true, and I'm looking forward to like digging more into um, you know all the the things. So. Um, do you want me to start with Kona? Do you want me to start? Yeah. Where do you want me to start? So I just thought we'd, we'd sort of just start with the excitement of Kona. You know, we're mm. going to dive in and actually go back and talk about your first Ironman and let you share some of that experience with us in a bit. But I really just want to celebrate and maybe share a couple of your high points. Like, so we all see Kona from TV and, and mm. we all have this vision of what it might be like, but maybe um, what was different than what you expected and what tell us maybe like a couple of the really high points for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll give you the, I'll give you the down and dirty Heather. I don't even know if I've shared some of this on social. Um, so we, we planned, so I, I was racing there with Andrew, uh, my boyfriend, he was racing on Saturday. I was racing on Thursday. So we planned for a good stretch of time to be there. We like arrived on Sunday and then we were leaving the following Tuesday. We're like, you know, let's kind of have the first Kona experience. Um, I'd never been to Hawaii before. So my first time in Hawaii, my first time in Kona, um, all the hype of like, oh, the Kona magic and oh, this and oh, that. And I was like, I actually had like a little bit of a breakdown about a week before going because I was like, I don't want it to be over. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but I had this like sadness where I was like, I'm building this up. I've built up this experience and this desire to do this race for like years, like years. Like I'm not one of these like uber talented athletes that goes and does their first Ironman and qualifies for Kona. I've had to work really hard for this. And so I like the, the week before I was, I, I remember crying to my boss and being like, I don't know why I'm having such a hard time, but I have a really, I have a really good boss too. Like she's a yeah. good friend of mine. And I was like, I like teared up and I'm like, I don't want this, this experience to be over. Mm-hmm. And so we got there on Sunday, we stayed with Vanessa Forrester and, and Danny and just had this like cute little house, like up on the hill. Um, and everyone's like, yeah, you're up on the hill. You won't need air conditioning. You need air conditioning. <laughs> It's Hawaii. <laughs> so it's it's Hawaii. It was hot. Um, so the first day we went out on our bikes, I um, first tip, I would take just a shakeout ride, make sure your bike works before doing what we did, which we like drove up to Javi and we're like, oh, we're going to do the Javi climb. This will be our like first ride out on bikes. Um, either we ride in Salt Lake City. It's very windy. We ride in St. George. It's very windy. People told me they're like, oh, yeah, it's windy. I have never been so terrified on my bike before. It also may have been predecessed by like a car accident that we got in like an hour beforehand. We were making the turn to Hobby and Andrew was driving and we actually got T-boned right there. So we literally were in this like smashed up, smashed up van. We're both fine. Um, Andrew's back was a little bit tweaked for the race, but um, he's Andrew. He was super positive. so and also really so not helpful. just a fin not just a fender bender. I mean, just no, like no, straight up T bone, like yeah, straight up T bone. Like the car went into like the passenger side. Luckily, I didn't see it coming, wow. so I didn't like brace myself. Um, but it was, I mean, it sh- shook you up, you know. So you're yeah, also gosh, in, like a rental car. No, it's, I mean it was kind of just like part yeah. of it. So we, um, yeah, we are. I was probably more shaken up than I thought. Got out on Javi and was like. 
I don't want to ride this course. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this race. I don't want to ride this course. This, this is terrible. Yeah. And all those emotions not, were just. <laughs> yeah. Well, not knowing that that was the windiest part of the day and one of the windiest days of the week on race day, that section was not nearly as bad. Like it was just not, it was windy. Don't get me wrong. It was yeah. windy, but it was like, also I had in my mind, I'm like, I did that so I can do it on race day. Like it's just, it's just one of those things wind. that I. The wind is always bad, but I do feel like the the weather is pretty favorable um, both days. But yeah, it... especially for the men. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but, but yeah, we uh, we we ended up doing like our shakeout ride. I think the big thing that everybody told me for Kona is like, don't watch what other people are doing. Don't get caught up in the hype. And and I really kind of stuck to that. Like I stuck to my own race plan. Um, at the time I was actually being coached by Chris, Chris Palmquist and she actually stayed with us. So it was like amazing that I had Chris right with us. And then yeah. I also had Vanessa who I've done like mental endurance coaching with. So mm -hmm. at one point I sat down with both of them and I'm like, gosh, I feel so fortunate. I'm with both of my coaches right now. Like this is so special. What a game plan. So seriously. So, um, so kind of just like stuck to my guns, did the things that I wanted to do. Um, did some team photo shoots and did some like the underwear run and things like that that were super fun. So I wasn't like a total hermit, um, yeah. but really kind of stuck to my own my own thing. Um, and then on race day, like I had some hiccups like we all do. I think every race has hiccups. Like for me, like they forgot my special needs bag. So I stood there at huh? special needs for a couple of minutes for them trying to find it, didn't find it. So the whole second half. So I, I ride on the specialized um, shift. And I have the hydration in the back and my game plan for every Ironman that I've done on the bike is just have a second bottle of nutrition, get off, refill, be on your way and just be able to drink out of the tube for the, like literally the entire rest of the ride. Like I don't have to refill again. So that, that threw a hiccup in things. And also, of course um, it did. yeah, it was one of those things where I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to be that person. I'm going to get stuff off the aid stations. I'm not going to let this like kind of derail my race. Um, but it took a lot of mental energy of like trying to figure out like, what are the things that I need to do? Also the aid stations were a little bit more sparse this year. So like there weren't as many on the bike. I think they removed, I, I missed one before Javi or before the, uh, the special needs. So I missed that one. And I think that there was like one or two that they, they removed from the bike and then definitely less on the run. Um, but I, um, I know you say I was smiling the entire time at Kona, but I got to a certain point, like right around the energy lab and everybody talks about the energy lab. I literally thought it was because Red Bull sponsored it. Like I, like before <laughs> yeah. I got there, like it was one of those things. I had no idea what the energy lab was. We drove around it and scoped it out. And it's actually like, yes, quite desolate. And it's just, right. I mean, there's like, yeah, there's nothing there. And Very um, lonely. yeah, so, um, and it wasn't even the lonely factor. It was like, I, I think at one point I just thought I was off. Like I was like, wow, I got to put my head between my legs. And I, as I did, so I just like, like lost everything. Like I have never thrown up in a race. I've thrown up after, um, but I vomited like nobody's business on that race course. So, um, yeah, I, I, it was it's not um, uncommon to have, you know, for people that typically have a good experience with GI and no nutrition problems, um, it's not unusual. And I'm sure you've probably heard that, that in Kona, just that it's so extreme with the heat and the humidity and the heat uh, radiating up off the black, you know, tarmac pavement. So it's not uncommon. And usually if you can get sick, if you feel like you're on the verge, then you're much better afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the thing is like, 
with three miles to go climbing up like Mark and Dave Hill, I was like, I got this like boost. I'm like, where did this come from? Like all of a sudden, like, and I was running back into town. I'm like, I think my like max speed was like 620 or something. I'm like, where, where's this coming from? Like, it's just like, you have like this whole nice downhill. And then that stretch, when you turn that corner and you go back into a lead drive, I'm like, this is why people come back. Like, mm-hmm. this is why people come back. This is, yeah. it's just, it's like, you, you can't, you can't explain it. You got to experience it. Like, it's really, it's really magical. Um, which also, Heather, not to lead into, but my first Ironman, I had that kind of same Go experience. ahead. That's, the, that's our next question is your first Ironman and why did you choose it? Well, my first Ironman was Lake Placid and I chose it because it was, I grew up in upstate New York. So it's like a four and a half, five hour drive. And so literally it was like, this is our local race. And this is the iconic Ironman. Like, why would I go somewhere else? I remember there was a girl that I knew in the triathlon world from, from Rochester and she had done Coeur d'Alene. I'm like, why would anybody go to Idaho? Like, I had no (laughs) idea how beautiful Coeur d'Alene was, but I remember thinking like, why would you go to Idaho? (laughs) But yeah, it's pretty. I'm actually doing that one this year. Um, but I, I chose it because it was like, I was, I was coached by a local coach in Rochester. She hosted a camp. We did the course. We like, we, we spent like three days there. We got to like ride the course, run the course. Um, I was familiar with the time zone, the climate, the like, you know, there's, there was no foreign element like that. It's not like Kona where you're like, oh, I'm not used to that heat and that humidity. Lake Placid was where like the weather that I grew up in, like that's, Mm -hmm. I mean, so I was like, this is a no brainer. Um, It also was really social. Like I knew probably 12 to 15 people that did it. And then like, 50 to 100 people that were like out on the course it felt like I knew so many people there so um so it was really it was like honestly that was also like a magical experience and the way that you finish Lake Placid the reason I brought up the finish is you actually finish by going around the Olympic Oval so they have the torch lit and you go around and then you basically like run along the track and then there's Mike Riley and he's like you know crying out that you're an Ironman and you're on this like Olympic venue and it's just magical. Like it's that just magical. It's so fun. Yeah. So, um, so Andrew's actually doing that one this year. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I yeah. was, I, I, Lake Placid was on my list. I was registered to do that race in 2019 and then ended up crashing and breaking my collarbone. Oh. Um, oh. And then I, I actually deferred a couple of times. And then like a lot of us, you know, the deferral rolled into COVID and I thought about oh. doing Florida, but I honestly, I, I, I don't think I'm going to do another full distance Ironman. And so yeah. Kona yeah. 2017 was my last race. Gotcha. gotcha. Of, of that distance for the yeah. time being. Okay. Yeah. And a couple of times that's, you know, I'll sneak in there and say, what if, and Pat's like, no, there, there are no what ifs. Let's not talk about this. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, well, awesome. So let me get, I have to put my glasses back on because my other screen is like sad. I can't even see that. All right. So um, let's talk, we sort of, you know, we said, like Placid for you was close to home. You had all the convenience, the support, the family, um, mm-hmm. just that, you know, everything seemed familiar. So do you feel, so my first Ironman was Whistler in 2013. Okay. And I actually chose the opposite. And part of that for me is I was living in Birmingham, Alabama at the time. Pat and I were dating, and but we were together. And there's, 
there are a couple of Ironmans relatively close by. Florida is about four and a half hours away. I did consider that one as my first. But then I had this moment because I had been to British Columbia before with uh, on a family trip with my parents. And I just decided that, and it was Whistler's first year mm-hmm. because they had just moved it back there. And so I just had this aha moment that I decided my first Ironman was going to be a destination race specifically mm. because of the beauty. And I, I wanted all the spectacular beauty just to take my mind away from mm-hmm. any kind of suffering, even though, you know, it's there. So yeah. um, for you, like, um, and then also maybe insights for others, this doesn't have to be your own personal experience, but maybe let's talk about destination race versus hometown race or local race, you know, because we've introduced some things that are obvious, like that support. What are some other things that we're, we haven't talked about yet? Yeah. Um, and I, my second one that I did was Montreblanc. So it's like, it's only a six, six and a half hour drive. So it's not that far. It's not as far as you went for Whistler. Um, but it still has some, like you're exiting the country. Like it's just Canada, but at the same time, like one of the things, I don't know if you found this at Whistler, um, but the Gatorade is different. They don't have Gatorade endurance. They have regular Gatorade on course. And so it's, and it's one of those weird Canadian things where they can't get a hold of enough of it or something like that. I don't know actually like the full reason, Um, but looking at little things like that, like, are you able to, to get, like, if you go, especially to like you know, there's people that are racing in Finland. Like, are you able to get your pre-race meals? Are you able to get your pre-race nutrition? Um, what does traveling with your bike look like? Are you comfortable, like, you know, building, breaking it down and building it back up? Um, I ended up, I was registered for Ironman Boulder for my second in 2018. And um, I ended up actually deferring and changing my registration to Tremblant. And my reason for that, to go a little deep, I ended up going through a divorce in 2017 and I'd become very reliant on, on my ex-husband to like break down my bike and build it up. And also it was a little gaslit that I couldn't do it myself. Um, and so I was like, I don't know if I can travel to Colorado with my bike. I'm so scared to do that. I'm so scared to do that on my own. I'm just going to do something that I can drive to and that my family can come to for my second one. And that was a big click factor for me. Um, I've since, bought a, a Thule bike box that I had gone so many places with me and I've gotten so good at breaking down my bike. I used to have a speed concept and now I have the shiv and I was really good at the speed concept and I'm pretty good with the shiv. Um, and then with Kona, we ended up borrowing, I, I got Andrew the bike box Allen and I borrowed a bike box Allen. So we literally had these like bright red two like matching bike box Allens going through Kona. Um, <laughs> so if you're looking at like at bike boxes, like there's a lot of things to consider, especially with Absolutely. traveling. And so that's, that's a whole factor. Um, and so I think it's, you know, some, for some people, it's super easy. Some people are really good with their bikes and breaking things down. Um, and some people it's, it's a big consideration. So, you know, yeah, that's not to be kind of understated. Very important consideration. And I'm so glad you brought that one up because also, you know, I mean, I know that, um, you know, we maybe don't have the luxury, all of us of, even owning our own bike box. So maybe Mm. you're relying on borrowing one or renting one. But Mm. I will say, if you have, or if you're looking, if you're listening to this and you're thinking of purchasing a bike box or borrowing one and you have options, 
definitely talk to friends. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think that this, that I really want to call out uh, brands here, but there are some very specific brands that we have seen where when your fork mounts to the bottom of the bag and the bag can be pushed from side to side that the bike can be damaged very easily. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I would say definitely do your research with bike cases because that is probably one of the most stressful aspects of traveling. Does your stuff get there with you mm -hmm. and is your bike okay? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then just like, I mean, traveling for triathlon, it's heavy. You bring a lot of stuff. So like knowing what is your airline charge for baggage fees? Do they charge overage fees? Things like that. Um, Lucky enough, Delta didn't charge me a, a cent for any of my, and I was overweight all every time. So I'm not wow. sure how I batted my eyelashes or what status <laughs> I have, but I, I like literally didn't have any overage fees. So fantastic. Yeah. But it's something to consider because it adds up. Like, I mean, the race fees, the lodging, all the things, like it, a lot of it just adds up. It really does. Yeah. So, you know, things to think about, I wouldn't discourage anyone from traveling mm -hmm. for their first race. I did it successfully. And then I also uh, planned a vacation afterwards for Pat and I to stay in British Columbia. And, and it was a wonderful awesome. experience for my first Ironman. But I also think that there are some, some great points for sticking close to home. And I'm glad yeah. that we had that to share. So, yeah. um, another thing that we, um, I think that maybe can cause some nerves for beginners is if they live in an area where they feel they, they maybe can't properly train for the terrain that mm. the race they choose is in. Um, yeah. And then of course, this time of year, if you live in Utah, you're probably on the trainer unless you live in Southern Utah. Um, so what are some things that you do uh, in your training to help you get ready for those races when you know yeah. you need to get specifically strong for hills or for even for temperature changes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, so Ruby and um, I think I'm not even sure if Zwift has them anymore, but like riding like course specific course, like, so riding the Lake Placid course. So we went into like a studio when I was training for my first one, this was back when like, Compu trainers were like cutting edge. We went into like a studio and like literally just did like the Lake Placid course. And I've done that. Like I've done that at the band studio. I've done that at home. Um, there's a number of different ways you can ride, ride courses. I think full gas now or like offers some. Um, I, I don't do that as much anymore. I think it's fun to kind of change things up and, and add those courses in. Um, the big thing is like, you know, either doing like slow cadence drills, really doing like strength on the bike. So, um, so working with, with cam, like I'm doing like regular bikes that I like have like very low cadence. So when we say like low cadence, like 50 RPMs and just like pushing like a good amount of Watts, it just makes you like, I sit there and I visualize climbing big cottonwood or climbing immigration and like staying an arrow and just pushing a big gear. And that's like, I do a lot of that. Like, and there's like 15 minute <laughs> efforts, 30 minute efforts, like simulating just like riding a relentless hill. Um, yeah. knowing that you're going to have to be doing that on race day. Yeah. Tension intervals are definitely, uh, um, spicy and I know Cam loves them. <laughs> he loves them. He loves them. Yeah. So, but um, such a great way yeah. to get strong on the bike and, um, tension intervals, we will mention very, very important for strength. As you mentioned, um, for our listeners, be careful with tension intervals that 
you, um, I would say progress into them. Start mm -hmm. with some slower, you know, 30 mm -hmm. seconds to a minute long. Um, and also if your knees start to bother you with truly slow cadence, like um, slower than 50, then maybe increase your cadence until you um, can build up your, your durability to those because they are mm -hmm. very important for that um, strength training on the bike. Um, some other things. That's why are, you're the coach and I'm not. <laughs> I just thought I would explain a little bit of, you know, of the no. details for, for our listeners too. No, totally. Cause that's, that's yeah. the thing is often you see somebody like on Instagram or if you listen to a podcast and you're like, wow, I'm going to go do that. And it's like, cool, you can, <laughs> you can go do that, but try a couple of steps or, or get coached. And I would say like my biggest thing of like training for your first Ironman is hiring that coach, getting like, getting a structure um, where you can ask questions, you can like, not just like rely on what you see on Instagram. Cause it's, it's not real. hundred percent of it is not real. Um, and I mean, maybe not a hundred percent is not real, but at the same time, like having something where you can actually, to you. and it's hundred percent, not individual to you. That's, that's the biggest part. And so, um, yeah, having that coach, it's like, I think night and day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, that, that's probably one of your tips for training for an Ironman. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you your three done. top tips. Um, <laughs> I do want to jump back though, before we're finished with specificity of like, how can you train to make those adaptations when you, when you live somewhere drastically different than the place that mm. you're going to be racing? Because for me, again, back to sharing experiences about my first Ironman, I, um, I love to swim. I mean, I, I like you, I've been swimming year round competitively since I was six years old, but mm -hmm. I do not like to be cold. And mm -hmm. so knowing that I was going to be swimming, um, in very cold water in Canada, I started doing cold water showers. And I really think that that helped. I also did those like before races, like Oceanside where the water's really cold, but just, mm -hmm. you know, turning that dial after a warm shower and getting used to the feeling of cold really helped me. Um, yeah. And then you can do the opposite with hot races, you know, do um, heat ad adaptation. We, um, I, I'll ask, uh, I'll post it in the show notes now that I've mentioned it, but Pat wrote an article this year for Cycling West about heat adaptation. And we have a very specific sauna protocol um, and we didn't reinvent the wheel, but I'll add that in the notes because if you're going to a hot place, it's a good, good protocol. Yeah, so yeah. Um, adding to tips. that, I, yeah, yeah adding ahead. to that, I definitely sat in the sauna and I also like, I have a very small trainer room and I just close the door and I don't use a fan. And so like using those kind of like, <laughs> you know, just, I mean, yeah. just suffering through it. Um, I also did the swim. I did it as a relay, the swim for escape from Alcatraz in 2011 oh, yeah. or something like that. So the water was like 52, I want to say, mm -hmm. um, and so it was, I did all of those things as well. Like the cold showers, the cold water on your face, getting used to your face being cold. Um, yeah. And, and, and just, I mean, that helped. It, it also like, don't, don't discount adrenaline because like, I think sometimes like you're up here too much and you're like, you just have to trust your body that like you've done all the right things and you're going to be okay. Um, also get into the water before like so st george is always a cold swim i always do a couple of like swims in the water and it never seems as cold on race day as it did the couple of days before so if the race Very venue allows for that yeah. it's so helpful mm -hmm. i agree 100 um 
and and also if you can i i think even we we probably won't dive too much into actual race day um because we're we're still sort of you know in this module of planning our races but also we you know we can really dive deep in a future episode about body language and what you do on race day to help you have a great day because when you are standing around tense and cold and everything about your body language is saying i'm fearful then you're just carrying that mindset right into your day and Mm -hmm. so i tell people Mm -hmm. to do jumping jacks push-ups whatever they need to do to stay loose and happy because they don't want to be tight and and fearful um so other tips that you might have specific to a beginner's mindset. And last week I asked Kayla who, you know, just accepted her pro license and, um, mm-hmm. you know, to, to go back to that beginner mindset and, and let's help some people with some training tips. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know the one of like, don't do anything new on race day. I think like everybody says it, but listen to it. I'd say that like that, that carries through. I even find myself to this day, like being like, Oh, should I try that? Should I add that? Like, should I, (laughs) you know? So like you get so much external like uh, influence. And I think that ties right back to like having the coach. I remember for my first, it was back when like the big tailed like arrow helmets were like a big deal. And I was like going back and forth of like, do I get this helmet? Do I borrow my friend's helmet? Do I do this? Do I do that? And I was able to go to my coach and say like, what helmet should I use? Should I use this helmet or not? And he basically walked me through like, what are the, like, what are the benefits of using it? And what are the, like the costs? Like, cause if you keep your head up, like if you're a newbie and you've got your head down and you're looking at your bike computer, it doesn't do you any benefit. So we talked through that. We talked through like, can I practice with it beforehand and things like that? And I ended up using it and I think it was a good decision to use it, but it was one of those things that I was like, should I, and also like knowing how, you spin your wheels on things. And sometimes just having that conversation, making a decision and then moving on versus like perseverating on it and wasting all this energy of like, did I do the right thing? It's like, you don't know until you try. And and granted, you want to make calculated mistakes and calculated decisions when it comes to race day because you've put so much into it. Um, but figuring out a way to like to calculate those decisions, I think is a, is a big um, component of that versus just being like, you know, kind of just going willy nilly on things. Um, I think the other thing is understanding, understanding what taper looks like and taper looks like it looks different for everyone. Um, it does. I think, you know, and I, I think depending on understanding, age, fitness, exactly, exactly. And so understanding like, what does that look like? And maybe for some people, it means just make sure you're getting like more sleep. Like I am someone that like, I need a lot more sleep than I think an average person. Like I thrive off of like nine and a half hours and people think I'm nuts. They're like, I don't know how you get that. I don't always get it. I think last night, cause I had to get up early to get my training done to get on this podcast. I was like, I think I got just shy of eight, but I really prioritize sleep. So that's kind of all combined into like one tip, Heather, but I think that's at least three Those or are- four. I don't know. Definitely. I was able to mentally separate them and, you know, going back, I do want to highlight that value of a coach. And even if somebody can't hire a coach to have comprehensive coaching throughout their entire Ironman training experience, I think making sure that 
if you can't hire a coach and you're following a training plan, that possibly another option is to do a couple of strategic consultations um, mm -hmm. throughout, you know, just specified periods of the training. But you're absolutely correct that when you have a professional there to give you valuable advice, you can expend that energy on other things like your training and your recovery. And like you said, not just spinning your wheels, trying to make a decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your you decision realize, might not be a, a, Yeah. Well, and you don't realize how much energy you waste mentally with some of these things. Like it's really, it really detracts from, from being able to like put your best foot forward with your training. Um, I think the last thing I will say is trust your process, you know, trust, mm -hmm. like if you've decided to follow a plan, if you've decided to hire a coach, if you've decided to do whatever it is, like trust your process, like be all in on your process. And, and really like that, that kind of goes back to like tuning out the noise, but I work with Vanessa and that's, that's like her big thing. And she's like, you need to be like a hundred percent on whatever decision you've made in terms of that guidance, that coach, that, that plan that you're following and really like get excited about it. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now as well. Yeah. And what a, what a great piece of advice to, to wrap up on. So this is an, an, an official question, but a very important question as we look out at the snow. Um, tell us how you find the motivation on a cold day to get to the pool. <laughs> because that's like, <laughs> it's what I hear all the time. And honestly, like as much as I'm a water baby, that is honestly how I feel most of the winter is like, I just, I'm so warm, you know, in the car with the heated seats and I just don't want to get out of the car to step into the pool. Yeah. I, I, I think I try not to overthink it and I try to just like, you know, bodies in motion, stay in motion. And so like, if I, if I stop and think about how much I don't want to get in the pool, it's like, it's just, it's an endless battle that I'm going to lose. Um, so typically like I laid my stuff out the night before, I know, like, I look at my workout, my swim workout, I write it down. I actually sometimes get kind of excited about it. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be hard. Like I, I did a 5k swim yesterday and I looked at it and I was like, he wants me to hit that interval. And I did it and it was no big deal. But I was like, okay. So like, I, I kind of use those little mental games to like, to keep myself in motion. And so that way, like, I know I need to do this. And like, I, I'm not the best at like having a morning routine, but when I do kind of nail that morning routine, um, and I think part of it is we're doing a renovation, like literally both bathrooms upstairs are being totally torn up. So like my bathroom's torn up. I've got a dog that's like kind of out of sorts. So it's, it's sometimes is like just figuring out like what's the next thing and, and just keeping myself moving forward. Like I need to get to the pool by this time because I need to get to work by this time. And and it's not sometimes about motivation, Heather. It's more just about discipline. Yeah, always. I'm glad you you brought that up because we hit on that last week too. And that motivation is fleeting. Um, discipline, you can always be disciplined. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to share before we say goodbye? I don't think so. Um, yeah. You know, I'm like, you know, you and I could talk all day, but um, yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. And we might see you again. You know, we love highlighting um, local athletes and you've been a pleasure to talk to. So thank you so much. And you were very disciplined today by getting your workout before you arrived on the show. You look fantastic. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, have a great rest thanks. of your day. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Heather. You too. Okay.